Behind monsters. Well, hey, part two, let's jump in. Pastor Josh last week kind of kicked it off for us. And this idea of that we have mind monsters. Some of us are driven by fear in your life. Others of us are driven by worry and anxiety and depression and those things. And um, Pastor Josh said this, and it's so true, that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And many things will happen because what comes into the mind often comes out in life. And what I love about the hope this morning is that if you follow Jesus, there is so much truth in this statement that should give us hope. In fact, the youngest disciple, John, wrote about it. And he says this, for followers of Jesus, the one who is in you is what, friends? Is greater than the one who is in the world. That yes, I may have mind monsters, but I gotta realize that the Holy Spirit is greater in me than he who is in the world. That God is greater than my depression, than my anxiety, than my fear, than my worry, than my false expectations. Whatever it is, there's hope in Jesus. He's greater. And for some of us, we have, we've got to shift our mind. You will never change your life until you change the way you think. It comes out. But think about this. If you are always negative, what tends to come out of your, in your words? You're thinking negative thoughts, neg- negative words are going to come out, right? We call those Eeyores. No one wants to be around an Eeyore, right? Oh, I can't wait to hang out with Eeyore today, right? No, we say what? I can't wait to hang out with a Tigger, someone who's positive, someone who's life-giving. Yeah, I want to hang out with them. So as we kick off week two, we need to understand this. We need to get rid of the stinking thinking, Turn to your neighbor and say, get rid of the stinking thinking. It's just fun because that's not even proper English right there. That's why we laugh, because it's fun. Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. It is impossible to have a positive life with always thinking negatively. Paul knows about this in our theme verse for this entire series. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, he's referring to followers of Jesus, Christians. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, if you follow Jesus, the the presence of God in your life gives you divine power to beat mind monsters. It's there. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, you've got that thought, put it in a cage and say, here you go, God. Take it captive. I can't let this mind monster control who I am and what I'm doing. And Paul understood this one thought, that your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And here's what's so interesting. I've been doing so much neuroscience because I'm I'm that nerd right? Neuroscience in the brain, it's just, it's just incredible. And God has designed and shaped our brain and in such a unique way. There's, there's a thing out there called neural pathways. It's this idea that your thinking, the way you do things or your thinking actually creates grooves and pathways in your brain. So when that situation comes up again, let's take, for instance, family reunion, Aha! 
Did you hear it? Oh, man. Every time you think family reunion, your brain, you jump into that little pathway in your brain that says, oh, man. But the way God has designed the brain is there's there's elasticity. Did I say that correct? That's pretty good. It means you can move it and mold it and shape it where you can get out of that pathway and begin to create a new pathway and a new way of thinking. And this is the term that we're gonna unpack a little bit. In science, it's called cognitive bias. Let me hear you say cognitive bias. Now, what neuroscience tells us is cognitive bias, this really affects the way we think. And here's the definition. It says this, it's a mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. But it's a mistake in reasoning. It's that idea is when you hear family reunion, oh no, but families are supposed to be good, right? Not necessarily, oh no. Or for instance, um, a, a, a cognitive bias is, is what's known as bandwagon bias. In other words, you, um, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series a couple years ago. Yeah, see, the problem is the rest of America all of a sudden became Cubbies fans. But they weren't before, but they fell in love with the Chicago Cubs and now they have this bias of, oh yeah, I'm a Cubs fan. It's like, no, you weren't. You jumped on the bandwagon. You like the Detroit Tigers. You are not a Cubs fan, right? Or we have selective bias. What that means is as soon as you read one piece of information, you believe it. Social media, you read the wrong news, news, whatever, and you just believe that one thing. And you can't, it's a mistaken reasoning based on personal preference or beliefs. And uh, I, I, I have these, these are real prescription glasses. You gotta say they're real prescription because nowadays people walk around with fake glasses, you know? And um, so these are real. And uh, I, I got a brand new pair of glasses last week. And uh, my kids think I'm really dorky in them. And I say, you don't know fashion, all right? So I, I see great with these glasses, okay? If I take these glasses off, I have no details in your faces. That you are a blur to me. However, I can read up fine. Just cl- I can read this with ease. But I have no idea who you guys are at this moment. Okay, that's cool. But if I put on my new spectacles that are round and translucent, I see things differently. These are not prescription. These glasses filter out blue light. So when I'm at my computer, it's filtering out the blue light that affects your brain. When I'm on my tablet at night watching TV, I can wear these, but my kids are like, you're dorky. What I notice is, but they all want to wear them, all right? It's just a different filter that I'm using now. And for some of us, that's what cognitive bias is, is you put on a filter. This is why two people can look at the same thing and come up with different preferences and results of the thing. For instance, Some of you hear the word father, and this is your framework. These are the mental uh, filter that you're wearing, and what you hear is loving, always there for me, and encouraging. 
But others of you have a different framework. You put on these and say, I hear the word father, abandonment, mean, and abuser. But it's the same word, father. This is why some of us hear the word Christian and we put on these and this is our filter that we use and we say hypocrite. Others of us put on these framework and filter and we say sinners in need of grace. It's just the mental filter that we have. Some of us sit there and say feedback. You hear the word feedback. Here's your, here's your frames, ready? Feedback, all I hear is criticism. I don't like it, I'm offended. But others, I love it because it will empower me and improve who I am. It's just a mental framework. Does this make sense, friends? So the biggest thing we have to do is if we're constantly being bombarded with mind monsters, is we have to do what's called reframing. Reframing. It's just putting on a different mental filter looking at a situation. Now, there's a story of this young boy who uh, told his father, Dad, I am the greatest batter ever. And will you go pitch to me? And the dad's like, I can't. You know, I'm, I'm making dinner right now. Hey, son, go pitch to yourself. This is a great idea. I'll go pitch to myself. I, I am the best hitter in the world. Son goes out there, throws up the ball, swings, whoosh, miss. Boy's like, whoa, but I'm the greatest batter in the world. Grabs the ball. Whoa, misses again. Strike two. Why? Well, I thought I, I'm the greatest batter in the world. I'm going to crush this one. Pitch. Whew, misses again. He goes, oh. He runs in the house. His dad, oh my gosh. Not only am I the greatest batter in the world, I'm the greatest hitter, or I'm the greatest pitcher in the world too. Framework. Framework. I want to show you this picture. saw this in a message, I totally, Craig Rochelle did this message that spoke to my heart. He showed this picture and he says, I'm gonna ask you a question. Are you having a good day, a bad day, or is it an okay day? Depends on your framework. You can put up the frame and say, oh, this day's horrible. I hate my life, I hate people, can't stand my job. I go home to kids I don't even really care for. <laughs> this is horrible. Or you can reframe it and say, hey, you know what? This may be an all right day, but God's good. He's working on me. And every day I wake up hoping to be more like Jesus. It depends how you frame it. Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, Paul became so good at this. Before, I need, to, I need to show you this picture. I want to show you something. You can't control what happens to you. Sometimes, yes, our own sin in our lives cause certain things to happen. But other times, there are, because we live in a sinful, broken world, that we, it's out of our control. But you can control how you frame it. Paul, Paul who hated Jesus, when we first introduced him, his name is what, friends, if you know it? Saul, right? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He hated Christians. He, wanted, he was stoning Christians, and not in the recreational stoning use. He was physically, boom, killing them. That's more funny than you laughed at. 
Think about that. Okay? Thanks for laughing. Make me feel better. All right. And so he's persecuting Christians. He's, uh, he's riding to Damascus. He's got papers in hands to go persecute more Christians. And God gets a hold of him, changes his heart. He becomes the greatest missionary in the first century world. Goes around, plants churches everywhere. And he dreamed of going to Rome. Oh, he dreamed of going to Rome. But what Paul would find himself is not a preacher in Rome, but a prisoner in Rome. It's kind of like for you. Man, I worked hard. I got my degree. I applied for that job. And they came back and said, hey, you're overqualified. I, I, I honored God in dating. I did what was right. I married my sweetheart. And now you find yourself divorced. Going, what happened? And that's where Paul's at. I wanted to go to Rome to preach, but I find myself in a prison cell. And let me tell you, their prison cells weren't like today. You're down level, you're down in the basement, and guess what would often flow through your prison cell? Sewage. Yay. So here Paul is. Wanting to be there as a preacher, but he's a prisoner. He's in the bottom of the cell, and oftentimes, if your guard was nice enough, he would lower a rope, and when that sewage would come, he would lift you up, if you were nice enough, to get you out of the junk and put you back down in there. And here's what Paul could have said to the church that he started in the city of Philippi. He could have said, knowing he's in that stinky situation, literally and figuratively, he's in that situation. This is what Paul could have wrote to the Christians in Philippi, according to the new whiners version of the Bible, aka made up. He could have said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. I just ain't good. Right? And as a result of the hell I've been through, I'm quitting my life group and never going back to church. <laughs> Done with it, right? But he didn't say that. Some of us would have. When the storm comes, I'm done with God. I'm done. I'm not going to this church thing. I don't believe. I'm done with group. I'm done with Christians. I'm done with it all. But Paul, he's good at reframing. Here's what Paul actually said. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Notice his perspective. The new whiner's version, wham wham, all about me. The real perspective, Paul, hey, first and foremost, it's about God, not me. What has happened to me will serve to advance who Jesus is. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for who, friends? Ha <laughs> it's about Jesus. I'm glad to be a prisoner because it's gonna advance Jesus. And because of my chains, because of the junk I'm going through, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Oh, most people think, horrible day. I'm done with God. Get me out of this prison. Get me out of the stinky mess that's underneath my feet. Oh, and Paul says, no, 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 listen. I'm in this prison. I'm in this misery because I know the gospel of Jesus is gonna advance. 
And every eight hours, that Roman guard is changing over. And Paul's sitting there, I want you to know, friends, who's the real prisoner? For eight hours, I'm preaching to this guard. And then they change guards, and I imagine they're sitting there going, well, who are you going in for? I'm going in for Johnny. What's John, who does Johnny guard? Paul, oh, seriously. He's gonna give me Jesus for eight hours now. We got to stop the stinking thinking and reframe our mind. Use a different lens or framework. If you're a note taker, three things. How do we actually reframe? How do we begin to reframe our mind? Here's the first thing. Thank God for what didn't happen. It's so easy to focus on the negative. Thank God for what didn't happen. This mom received a phone call from her daughter that was in college. And uh, she says, Mom, are you in a place where you can kind of sit down and just relax? And the mom's heart is kind of like, she knows it's not good. It's her college daughter calling. And she's like, okay. So she sits down on the couch. She says, Mom, um, last night or last week, I met a guy and I'm pregnant now. She said, uh, but the good news is he gets off of probation in a year. <laughs> and um, he's going to start looking for a job after rehab. And we're considering marriage, but we need to try it out first. And we're going we're gonna to move in together, live together, because we can't afford um, to be on our own. She heard nothing from her mom. She goes, Mom. What actually happened was, I got a D in chemistry, so be thankful none of that story is actually true. <laughs> I just gave a bunch of students some good ideas now. When you're failing, it could have been a lot worse, right, mom and dad, a lot worse. Thank God for what didn't happen. Hey, hey! <laughs> That's messed up right there. Hey, you missed your deadline at work! Hey, no bonus, even though I was hoping that bonus would come for Christmas. I realized, but hey, thank God I didn't lose my job. I got into a car wreck, and that fender is super expensive, and I don't know how I'm going to pay. But thank God I have my life, and God spared my life in that horrible accident right there. Thank God for that. Because when we focus on the negative, you're going to see negative. Think about a vulture. 
and hunger. What does a vulture seek out? The dead, the carcasses. And it will go by everything beautiful to get to that dead thing. What does a hummingbird do? It will pass all the dead things to get to the sweet thing. This morning, with your mind, be more like the vulture, focusing on the day, be more like the hunter, going after the things. It's Paul. Now I want you to know, while I'm in prison, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, this bad situation, has actually served to advance the gospel. Got my monsters. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it and what lenses you look at. Praise the team. Sing that song, God, you're so good. And I'm gonna end this service, my time up here, by wanting all of us to sing that song together. God by your circumstances. Oh no, all I see is my monsters everywhere. Fear, depression, anxiety, worry. God, where are you? You must not be good. No, I will interpret my circumstances through the goodness of who God is.